Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hello, hello, hello again, everybody, and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. We thank, as always, our producer-engineer, Dave Armbruster. Thank our friends at the Believe Network for hosting our show. Got some uh, great response from our guest last week, Chris Welsh, 29 years as the television analyst for the Cincinnati Reds broadcast. And this week, another native Cincinnatian, ironically enough, and that is Mick Cronin, now the head basketball coach at UCLA. He joins us today to talk about his days growing up. His father was a legendary high school basketball coach. His father was also a legendary baseball scout for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, Mick was a great player back in his high school days, but a knee injury would end his high school career, and he went right into coaching during his days at uh, the University of Cincinnati. He would later, of course, become the head basketball coach at his alma mater. And then all of a sudden, apparently he wasn't good enough for them anymore. And after a number of other candidates uh, were interviewed for the job at UCLA, he wound up becoming the head man. When we visit with Mick, we will talk about one of the most, if not the most single, incredible basketball game that was ever played in the history of the NCAA tournament. And that was a semifinal game in this year's Final Four, UCLA against Gonzaga. And the future of UCLA basketball. Can they again become among the nation's elite? They were the elite forever back in the days of John Wooden. All that coming up next on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call one 844 Y-E-S-C-H-N-K. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Michael Walter Mick Cronin was born in Cincinnati, Ohio in July of 1971, which I believe makes him our first guest on this show that was born in the 1970s. The son of Peggy and Hep Cronin. His dad, a legendary high school basketball coach who won more than 400 games in his career. Mick Cronin played for his dad at LaSalle High School as a sophomore and all-city performer again his junior year. And then during that season, he was injured, which in essence ended his playing career. As a student at the University of Cincinnati, 
He would begin his coaching career at Woodward High School. That's a city high school in Cincinnati. He was a freshman coach, later the JV coach, assistant to the head coach. They racked up a record of 57-3 and with three city championships. In 1996, he took his first college job under Bob Huggins at Cincinnati, where he recruited some of the best players in the history of that program. Five years later, off to Louisville to be an assistant for Rick Pitino. Cronin's first head coaching job came two years later at Murray State. He was only there three years, and two years led the Racers to the NCAA tournament. In 2006, he would be brought back to his alma mater at Cincinnati to really pick up the pieces of a program in shambles. He would lead the Bearcats to nine consecutive NCAA tournament appearances. Two years ago, he left Cincinnati to take over at UCLA, and of course this season led the Bruins to the Final Four in Indianapolis. He has one daughter. He makes his home now in Southern California. Mick Cronin, is there anything I just left off that introduction that perhaps I should have had on or that you are most proud of? Well, I'll tell you, I have expanded the family. My girlfriend, Christine, came out with me uh, from Cincinnati, and and, uh, I have a stepson who's 15, Carson. So uh, I got my daughter now has, you know, she thinks that hitting golf balls with dad is exerting too much energy. (laughs) So you know, so so you know, so now my my uh, my stepson, he, you know, he likes to hit golf balls with me. So I got somebody to go to the range with, uh, you know, because the weather is nice here every uh, day. Yeah, yeah, you- yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Your old hometown. We're sitting here freezing to death still in the uh, middle of April. Is it raining? Is it ra- What are the odds it's not raining? This well, is, uh, you're right about that. It's not <laughs> raining. It's just cold today. I mean, it's just it's in the 40s and that that damp. You know that cold. Hey, oh, as the dust has the death has any of the dust settled in from you yet on this incredible run you had this year? Now, you know, it's really been. I haven't had any time to digest it. You know, uh, I, all I've really done. I gave, told the guys I'll see them in two weeks. I want everybody to take two weeks off. And as the as the coaching staff, all we've done is be on the phone and and recruit. And and then I've tried to obviously return messages, do media, get a strike while the iron's hot, with with everything in our business. And you know, you kind of you, you you rip and run until May uh, because of the, the the way recruiting is set mm-hmm. up now. And field phone calls about the Cincinnati job. Who should they hire? <laughs> so you know, I'm very excited that they, they hired Wes Miller. He's a great guy. Now that's over with, so I don't have to get those calls and text messages. I'm trying to eliminate calls and text messages. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I really have, you know, really haven't had time to to let it sink in. And and you know, unfortunately, you know, with COVID, like you know, we we weren't able to have a a reunion, uh, so to speak, when we got back on campus with our team. You know, here in California, we're pretty strict with our guidelines. So uh, just been, just really been trying to rest, recover, and hit the recruiting trail. But, I, you know, I'm sure it's going to sink in here over time. Mick, was that game against Gonzaga, and I know you've been asked this probably 10,000 times already, but, I mean, you know, look, sometimes people surprise you. They think of a high school game. They think of a college game, maybe a game they played in when they were younger as a kid. But was that the best basketball game you've ever been a part of? Pro- probably, other than three seconds. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, other than three seconds. And and I didn't really realize it. Everybody said that until 
on the way home the next day on the plane, I watched the game and I had, you know, and, and I actually had time to really digest the stat sheet, Tom, you, you, you know, to, for teams to shoot 55 plus percent from the field. Uh, usually that happens in a half. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you've done this your whole life. You see, yeah, you're doing whatever sport it is, you, you, you know, it, it's, it's going to, it's going to calm down at some point. Law of averages are going to get these teams. It's just, you know, for, for the, for the offenses to be that efficient for uh, over the course of a 40 minute college game, you, you almost never see it. You know, you, you see bloodbaths, you see wars, but I mean, and it wasn't like there wasn't defense. I mean, just the, the, the execution level on offense and the, the, the performances of the players in the game was, was tremendous. And I, you know, so I, you know, when I watched the film, I understood it was, I know during the game time, I kept saying to myself, you know, we're in trouble. We can't stop them. We just can't stop mm-hmm. them. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, we got to keep scoring. And if we could ever stop them, we're going to win because they can't stop us. <laughs> but it just never happened. But yeah, it was a great game. You know, I, uh, we had on Urban Meyer a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and I've gotten to know Urban relatively well here over the last number of years. And, you know, he always talks about coaches. You know, you remember the things you didn't do rather than the good things maybe you did do. Is there something is now you've had at least, you know, a, a week and a half, almost two weeks to to reflect back on? Is there anything like that for you that you say, geez, I wish I would have done this? Or, or do you try to eliminate playing that game? Because, I mean, what good does it do? You can't do it over again, right? <laughs> yeah, but as you know, Tom, we do it. That's yeah, that's right. You know, I think you have to – I always do that. Not, not to beat myself up, but just – I believe that you, you have to self-evaluate. You can't, you know, I worked for Coach Patino, and, and I remember him saying, you know, early on somebody was complaining about something a player didn't do well, and he said, and he went off on the on one of my fellow assistants. Said, well, you know, I haven't seen you working with him every day on that. Are you out there every day with him before practice working on that? Why are you complaining if you, have, you haven't taught him? So, uh, you know, I've, I've always taken that to heart. I think, you know, I always try to be harder on, way harder on myself than my team. And to me, like the only way you get better is to really self-evaluate. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, uh, you know, if I had it back, if I could redo it, I'd have called a timeout at the end of regulation. But Johnny Juzang got to the basket. Uh, you know, I, they could have changed defenses. We might not have gotten a shot off. So, I don't think I should have called timeout. It just didn't work out our way. But I think you do go back. I definitely go back every game, try to assess my performance, uh, my my coaching staff, our preparation, and some things that we could have done better. Uh, so you, you, that's the only way you get better. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, be, you know, I think, you, but you got to be realistic. You know, like it, like I just mentioned, Tom, that that last play, sure. I mean, now if you said it, sure, I'd call timeout because we didn't win. You know, they called that's a charge. Right. That's right. It, it, but the truth of it is, if your maturity and wisdom, that the play is, if you got the ball in the right player's hands, and you're you're not out of control, is to let him make the play. The odds say you're better off than letting the other coach set his defense, mm-hmm. uh, where you might not ever get the ball in your best player's hands. So. Uh, you, you know, you, you got it, but you got to always self evaluate. I think that that's what coaches do, but that's why we torment ourselves and our minds so much. And it's such a hard profession. You know, you, you, you think about your season, coach, and, you know, you reflect back a little bit. Strange year. You know, you lose the opener to San Diego State by double figures, you lose Chris Smith to injury. 
Uh, Then you get it rolling. But you lose three straight near the end of the year to finish uh, fourth in the Pac-12. And now you got to play in that first four. I mean, if you're being, you know, uh, honest with yourself, when you're going to play Michigan State, and and not saying you don't think you can beat Michigan State because they had their ups and downs too, but when when that whole thing started, I mean, if somebody would have told you, hey, you're going to do this, 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 and this over the next four weeks, and you're going to be in the Final Four, are, are you you buying or selling that stock? Oh, uh, look, you, you know, you always as a coach, you're looking for your path. Um, but, but you know, the odds, when, when Chris Smith went down like January 1st, Tom, and then, and then Jalen Hill, our, our, our most athletic, best defensive big man, goes down February 1st and, I, and, and with personal issues and has since retired from the game. Uh, you, you, you know, you got, you've, now, you've now lost two of your best players, and now you're coming down the stretch in the Pac-12, and you got to play at Colorado. They give us a makeup game <laughs> at Oregon. You know, then you know, then then we lose two in a row with the buzzer. It was, uh, it, it 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 was. We weren't. We were playing well, and I thought, you, you know, we've overcome so much. I want these kids to. We needed to just get in the tournament because I had never had a player, Tom, that had played in an NCAA tournament. Right. Not not, not one guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, when they threw Michigan State up on the board in the playing game, I wondered. What I had done to somebody <laughs> on the tournament committee, like what did I do? <laughs> you know, Tom is those Mr. March seven Final Fours. Uh, we got to fly across the country. They're already sitting in Indianapolis. They they were there for the Big Ten mm-hmm. tournament. Like, what, what did we do to anybody? But uh, I did think that if we won that game, if somehow we could get by them, that uh, we had we we had a chance to get to the Sweet Sixteen. I really did believe that. And then you just don't know. From there, you don't know who's waiting on you, right? right. We end That's up with right. you end up with Alabama and Michigan, two of the best teams in the country, right? They're they're ranked third and fifth. But you know that sometimes they're not waiting on you. They get mm-hmm. upset, so you don't know from that point. But I I thought. Uh, you know, I knew that Michigan State game was a tough assignment. Oh, boy. You know, I, I, I played um, high school basketball. You, your dad, for, for many, many years, was at LaSalle, and, and I played uh, once he had taken over at Oak Hills High School. And, boy, he had some great teams, and they were so tough. I mean, just the toughness and the intensity they played with. Your dad's all over the TV uh, <laughs> during the tournament. You had not seen him for like a year because of COVID and all that kind of thing. What was his reaction about getting all this pub on television during the tournament? I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. I mean, you, you know, obviously you have a very famous father. Now apparently I do as well. Yes, you do. Was a, you know, he's a humble high school coach. And, you know, as you know, from baseball scouting, my dad's big time in his circle. Mm-hmm. In the, and in that world, my dad is in the Hall of Fame up in St. Paul at the uh, minor league stadium. He's got a – but people don't know that. You know, that's a behind-the-scenes world. But as Tom Gregory, you know, he, he said, he said, you, you know, Airtime Hep is now he, – he's now like Marty Brenham. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, you, you know, my sister's calling me. It's like, this is ridiculous. Your dad's taking pictures. Everybody <laughs> wants a picture with it. <laughs> so, but I, I will tell you, you know, John Thompson III, Tom, is a friend of mine. And he, he called me and he said, you know, this is so awesome. Because, you know, he lost his – Big John passed away yeah. this, this winter. And he said when he went to the Final Four, his father was alive. And, you know, just so for him to be able to experience that, so cool, you know, for him to be able to go go through that ride. And then, you know, for me, the the, the fact that the, it was Indianapolis, 
I mean, I, I had the whole UCLA section where Cincinnati people driving from Cincinnati sure. just wearing blue. Sure. So, you know, to have all your friends and family up there was great. It had been nice to be able to walk up and say hi to people. But, you know, all you could do is wave from the floor in the crazy COVID COVID years. But, no, Airtime Hep is his new name. No, that's that's great. Please tell them we said hello. You know, you, you talked about uh, John Thompson losing his dad. Uh, back in 2005, uh, Mick, you lost your mom. Um, yeah. What would what would that whole – experience have been like for her do you think oh wow i mean you know the biggest that would have been awesome to answer your question but you know the hardest thing for me my mom grew up on the cincinnati campus which is now um they've changed the name of our baseball stadium so many times johnny bench was march shot but anyway wherever first base is that 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 was dennis street extended down from Coryville catholic which um, the St. Old St. George Church. So, you know, she she literally grew up on campus physically. So, uh, you know, 2006, she passed away in June, Tom, in 2005. And, in, you know, nine months later, I got the head coaching right. job at Cincinnati. That would have been an unbelievable moment for her because, like, she couldn't believe when Coach Huggins hired me. She thought I was kidding. I went out to dinner with her and my dad to tell him. And she she thought she goes quit lying. <laughs> no, like she's like no you didn't. I was like what am I going to have to do? Have Coach Huggins call you? You know. And she 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 said I she didn't believe it until we had our first game and I walked out on the floor. <laughs> wow. So she loved going to those games. You know she loved Coach Huggins. She loved she she was a Bearcat th- through and through a Bearcat. My dad obviously played baseball and basketball since then, but mm-hmm. my mom was a true Bearcat. Like. So you know that that was a that was a, you know for her to see her son in that spot you know the rest is all gravy past that but for her to see me as the head coach at Cincinnati would have been unbelievable you know the, she'd have just been shaking her head at the Final Four because you know when I grew up going to the racetrack with my dad in the summer when he was selling tickets she you know, she didn't have the the highest of hopes for her son she was a little concerned. <laughs> 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 hey, 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 she she had no idea what was coming. You may, <laughs> you mentioned Bob Huggins. Um, you know, look, uh I for those who get to know him, uh there's a lot to like. Uh but to work for him every single day. And look, you start as a video coordinator there. A year later, uh you become an assistant coach. You're bringing in some of the best players they've ever had in the history of the program. But what was that like and what kind of influence did he have on you? Oh, hell, I would not be here if it wasn't for Coach Huggins, let's be honest. I mean, you know, Jim Leon gave me my first shot at Woodward, but, you know, I got close with Coach Huggins before he hired me, you know, in the recruiting scene. Back then, you just spend a month on the road in July. And I was working camps and running events, and he was at all these camps and events. So, I mean, it literally went on for 27 straight days. Uh, you know, a lot of them here in California, we'd be in Vegas, be in Georgia. So we had a lot of lunches together, um, you know, a lot, you know, with him, a lot of nights together. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, we became close over that time. And the funny story is, you know, I went to tell him that I was going to take it. Uh, I was leaving Woodward. I was graduating from UC. I was going to Eastern Kentucky as an assistant coach. And, uh, with Scott Perry, who's now the general manager of the New York Knicks. And he looked at me, and he, I thought he was like, oh, that's great. He looked at me, so I, I thought you wanted to work for me. <laughs> I said, well, Coach, you don't have a job open. But you know how he is. He goes, well, 
can you give me a few days? Yeah. Said, well, a few days for what? You don't have a job. <laughs> he goes, just, just, just give me a few days. Well, you know, back then there was only three assistants. There was no, there was no administrative assistant. There was no video coordinator. There was no director of player development. You know, we have all three now. <laughs> so, you know, he went and did what he had to do and he got me an $800 a month internship. Uh, and we called me video coordinator and I had no idea how to plug the VCR. And that's the, <laughs> the, it's the best part of that story is I had no idea what the hell I was doing with video. <laughs> you know, it was strictly to help get players. I learned the video part, and thank God I got to work under Coach Huggins. But uh, we, we had some great, great, great times, you know. But uh, I tell you, Tom, one time I answered the phone at 8 in the morning in the office, Cincinnati basketball, and I hear Mick, and he, I, I said, yeah, Coach. He goes, what the hell are you doing there so early? <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you ever think your boss would say that? Oh, uh, no, no, never thought you would. No, no. <laughs> hey, are him and Rick Patino as different – as, I mean, look, when you look at him, you know, you got this one guy who's this mountain of a man. I mean, Hugs is a big dude for people that have never been around him, and obviously he's gotten heavier through the years. We all know that. Patino's this slim, trim, you know, uh, dressed to the nine sort of guy. But when it comes to working for him, are, 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 are they similar? Are they so vastly different? Uh, no, extremely similar. Just, you know, they come, but it's just, we're all product of our environment, you know. So, uh, Coach Huggins will drink wine, but he wouldn't know the difference between cake bread and Camus. <laughs> and God, you know, and he, he's proud of that. He said, well, why the hell would I pay for Camus when I have cake bread? You know, that's just sure. Coach. I mean, you know, it, it just, but, you know, Coach Patino's from New York City. I mean, you know, the guy, the guy grew up, his friends are all on Wall Street, all the guys. It's just a different world. But when it comes to basketball, they're so similar. Uh, neither one of them, uh, ex- neither one of them accepts losing. You know, there's always, and, and their work ethic is unbelievable. Their commitment to what they do, their love for their players, but you know, very similar in the fact that they're, they're, you know, the, I, having worked for them and, and knowing them the way I do, you know, the, the thing that I admire most about both guys is I can tell you countless times that these guys dropped everything to go out of their way, whether it was financially or uh, or to be with a former player in a time of need, to help a former player mm-hmm. in a time of need. You know, that, that's, you know, and nobody knows. It's, they, these aren't things that people, that they advertise. These are things that don't come out in the media. And, and th- so, you know, they're both just great, great guys with that, but eerily similar in, in their in their in their coaching, um, you know, maybe not the some of the X and O part, but intensity, commitment, focus. Uh, there, there's a, there's a reason they're you know two of the best college coaches ever. UC brings you uh, to be the head coach at the end of 05, 06. You mentioned that your mom had just passed away. Uh, you hardly have enough players to even put on the floor. In fact, I, I think I remember you brought in the guy who would eventually be an All Pro in the NFL as a football player, Connor Barwin. Uh, to play yep. for the basketball team. I mean, you know, look, this is your dream job. And, I mean, you're looking around, and it's – I'm not going to call it chaos, but not an easy <laughs> way to start, right? No, I likened it to raising the Titanic. You know, the problem was twofold. Uh, you know, we had we, we had the on-the-court issue, right? We didn't have players. And we were in the Big East. 
and the, the you know the, the, that era of the you know what I would call the real Big East of sixteen teams. Um, and it wasn't if you got better. The problem was you could get better, but better than who? Yeah. You know, you had to jump somebody, you know, to get from 12th to 11th. And 11 went to the NCAA tournament, by the way. <laughs> so it was it was such a mountain to climb uh, from a getting the personnel and, and then getting better, but getting better than the other teams because the coaching was so great and the talent in the league was so great that it just it, there was no way to hit fast forward. There was no transfer portal. Uh, we had injuries along the way. Mike Williams tore his Achilles cash before he ever played a game for us. Kashmir Wright tore his ACL before he ever played a game for us. The NCAA whacked the number one JUCO player in the country, Hernal Hall, who never played a game for us. So it, it, it was a lot, there was a lot of on-the-court obstacles. But to be honest with you, the off-the-court, as you mentioned, as you know in Cincinnati, the love for Coach Huggins uh, and the way it ended there for him had people really upset and to try to get everybody back uh, behind the program again. It wasn't personal. I totally understood it. Uh, and it didn't happen, Tom, until my, my, at my fifth year. It was senior day, and we were playing Georgetown at home, and they had been to the Final Four a year or two earlier, and the place was sold out, and everybody was wearing red and black and we're up 20 on Georgetown, and I'm take, I, I, I just took a minute and sat down with about two minutes to play. You know, it, it was rocking in the arena. I was subbing seniors in and out. I sat down. I thought to myself, you know, I did it because the fans were back, you know, and all I wanted to do was give them the program back, you know, because, you, you, you know, the, there was such fightful, uh, you know, being spewed amongst, you know, the former president, sure. the former coach, everybody's picking a side. And, you know, that's not what it's supposed to be about, right? It's supposed to, you know, root for your team, have fun, root for your team. Sports is an escape. So to be able to finally get all that in the past uh, was a real mountain to climb. But that that's that was a real, like, that moment for me is when I really, and then we went, you know, we went to the tournament that year and we went to, to nine straight. Yep. That's what I was most proud of. You know, you go to nine in a row, Mick, and in your last three years at Cincinnati, you win 30, you win 31, you win 28. Um, look, I'm speaking from experience here, and, and, and I'm curious, you know, how you feel about what I'm about to say here. I, I think that going home is a lot harder than people think it is. Uh, yes, you know, you're blessed to have this incredible job. You're making great money. Um, but I, I've always felt like, you know, and, and I don't mean just you or me or somebody else, and it's not feeling sorry for yourself. I don't mean that at all. I just think that this is a factual statement that there, there, there's an, a, a, sometimes an, a lack of appreciation in your hometown that you don't get that you might get somewhere else. I mean, it, it's unfathomable to imagine a coach can take a team to the NCAA tournament nine straight years, and then you're not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, you know, on your first topic, I, I would one thing about having me on, I'm always going to give you the truth. I, I, I totally agree with you, and it has nothing to do with myself or with you. Um, I'll take you to one of the probably the most famous person to ever live, uh, probably the most important person to ever live, Jesus Christ. 
Yep. Jesus, you know, there was only one place they didn't believe he, That's was, right. he was the son of God. That's right. And, that, and that was in Nazareth. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, that never bothered me, though. That really had nothing to do with my decision um, because I, oh, I, I did know this. And, and it was funny. I told the athletic director at UCLA in my interview that I said, you know, I have a Ph.D. in following a legend, you know, because I had to directly follow him. So mm-hmm. I'm well aware that I'll never be the best coach at UCLA. And I knew I would never be the most beloved coach at Cincinnati. And, and I, it, it, I was okay with that because Coach Huggins should be beloved. Uh, because when he came back uh, and he came to Cincinnati and took that job over, I was in high school. And, you know, there was some, the, the 80s were brutal. Yeah, they were. <laughs> you know, the, they were brutal. And you go, you know, so he brought Cincinnati back, put them on the map uh, from basically oblivion. Uh, and you know he i mean it was it was a love affair that he had developed with the city, and I was okay hell i was I was one of them, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember riding in the car with my dad saying, This guy's talking about taking Cincinnati to final four, hell, I just want to be able to root for my team <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 he did it, damned if he didn't do it, so you know it, but so I was okay with that 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 never uh it never had any any real effect on me, but I do understand that because um you know, I lived it. You know, it, to some people, you always be. You know, uh, you went to Anderson, didn't you? Yep, yep. You know, we'll, you will always be. Hey, yeah, I remember Tom. You know, I'm Mickey, and you're Tommy. That went to Lasalle and Anderson to certain people. I mean, yep. how could you be? How could you be one of the best in in your respective fields in the nation? Uh, but you know, like my mom always told me, so, hey, everybody comes from somewhere. You know, somebody's got to be the next great coach, the next great broadcaster. So. You know, you don't ever let that. Don't ever let people tell you you can't be that person because you know it doesn't matter. Hey, John Wooden came from somewhere. You know, right. Nobody thought. You know, so I was good with that. Uh, but you know, it was just for, for me. Uh, I, I really felt that that uh, my destiny was to take this job. You know, I, I I felt in my heart it was the right thing for my daughter. I thought it was the right thing for my profession. And I do think, I really believe this, I think in coaching, especially this day and age, and I want your opinion on this because you, you've covered so many different teams. You can stay too long. You, you really can stay yeah. too long. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think, you know, going out, uh, winning 89 games was, you know, only one team won more than us over that three-year period. And, uh was the right way to do it. And it was, you know, it was a chance to, you know, go to UCLA, which, you know, that's not going to come around twice for, you know, in, in, in your career. So it was just the stars aligned. And, and, you know, for me, it was just the opportunity of a lifetime. And it was, it was time. Now, you know, I thought I, the team we left was a top 10 team that I left behind at Cincinnati. I was really proud of that. And unfortunately it didn't shake out that way. Uh, some of the guys didn't stay and, you know, you know we all know what, what happened. Uh, but you know, that, that's, again, I, we left the top 10 team behind. So, uh, you know, you can't stay too long though, Tom. I don't know. How do you feel? about? Well, that? I mean, I, I think that, I, I think that that it holds uh, true perhaps, uh, a little bit more in the pro game because you have guys for a longer period of time. And, and, and I want to circle back about the whole, you know, 
one and done and all that kind of thing in a minute. Oh yeah. Um, so I, 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 you know, the the college thing, I, I don't know. I, I think there are a lot of guys out there that are proven you can stick around. I think it takes a unique guy and it takes a unique uh, administration uh, in the college game to give somebody that chance. Because look, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to have the hiccup or the bump in the road a season or two, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But you know. The, the, the great coaches, you being one of them, I mean, hell, you've already won over 400 games and you're not even 50 years old yet uh, with a proven track record. When you go to UCLA now uh, on this interview, I mean, look, when we were kids, more accurately when I was a kid, you weren't even born yet, but, but I mean, they were it. They were it in college basketball. You know, they won 10 national championships in 12 years under John Wooden. Uh, they do have some success. They won one under Jim Herrick. Ben Howland gets him to three straight Final Fours. He comes in from Pitt. But, but it's never been the same UCLA. When, when you go out there, is your perception when you get there, facilities, fan interest, enthusiasm, players, talent, the whole nine yards, did anything catch you off guard like, you know what, this is better than I thought it might be despite their quote-unquote lack of success? Or, man, this this program needs some work. Well, uh, campus, campus, and the, the the university. I only knew there was the sports history of the university from you know, I, and, and I you know, and you, as you know, today's the day that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, guys like you and I, I only knew this. I'm being honest. I, I mean, I didn't know the guy that that invented the internet went to UCLA. So. Um, I did. The campus is literally across the street from Bel Air and j- just west of Beverly Hills and east of Brentwood. That's what. That's where yeah. Westwood is located. It's the weather, You can feel the ocean breeze from Santa Monica. We're four miles from the ocean. It is every movie is every movie where they film college scenes is filmed at UCLA. I mean, it, it is an unbelievable campus. And the quality of student, uh, the quality of the alumni is just mind-boggling at UCLA. It's such a spe- I did not know how special the, the university was and the campus was. I did not know. I knew. Obviously, we know the the, the athletic history. Mm-hmm. So that 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 blew me away. I did not know that. Uh, I did know about their team. We played them three years in a row, NCAA tournament, and then home and home. So I knew their players inside and out. I, we had played at UCLA, so I knew they had the, the new practice facility, um, you know, ne- next to Pauley Pavilion, and that had been renovated. I knew all the basketball stuff. I did not know some of the other things that we were, we just talked about. Uh, you know, so it, it's really like you know when I drive to work every day and I turn. Uh, you know, I, I come down Sepulveda. I live north of campus, and 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 I take a left on Sunset Boulevard. And it's you know every day, Tom. I'm like you know, I grew yeah. up. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Colerain, man. I mean, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. I take a left on Sunset Boulevard, and I'm driving. You know, I, I'm driving uh, on my left is Bel Air. I mean, the gates to Bel Air, and you know, two hundred million dollar homes. It's it's crazy. I mean, you know, I pinch myself every day, but hey, you only live once, and I tell you, like I said, I thought it was just it was it was the right opportunity uh, for me to try, you know, try to do something with my career uh, and and really challenge myself. You've changed jobs before as well. Um, you, you know, I remember. I think it was your move to Arizona. I mean, there's times where you you need to challenge yep, yourself professionally. Yep, yep. yep. And I I really felt that uh, that that if I really 
you know, all the things I said to my players through the years about I'd rather live one day as a lion than a thousand as a lamb. Um, you know, things of, of you know, try, trying to put yourself in a situation, always try to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be forced to be your best. Uh, this, you know, I, I thought it, I'd, have, I'd have almost been a hypocrite if I wouldn't have taken the job. You know, in the Midwest, Mick, uh, let, let, I mean, let, let, let's be honest about it here, okay? And, and I've been as guilty of saying this as the next guy, okay? In the Midwest, we often think of Californians as soft, right? You know, that Midwesterners and Southerners and nor- even Northeasterners, for that matter, they're just tougher. They have to live in, in, in all of the things that are not what you just described in Southern California, right? <laughs> Weather, ocean breeze, Bel Air, $200 million homes, okay? So, you know, in basketball, oftentimes toughness is seen in rebounding and defense. Did yeah. Have you, A, did you feel that way about quote-unquote Californians? I mean, maybe I'm in the minority here, uh, just from a sports standpoint. Um, And, B, is it tough? I mean, I remember when Ben Howland came from Pitt. His style, in a lot of ways, was similar to yours. He's at Pitt, and they're tough, and they're rebounded, and they're guarding people, and they have the nice little run, real nice run, three straight Final Fours. But then all of a sudden, things started to kind of get away. Was that a hard sell at all, defense and rebounding to California kids? Um, I think, you know, maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the, the thought of accountability. Um, that we're, we're, look, we're going to play to win. Um, you know, one thing about L.A., as you know, uh, individuality gets people famous here. <laughs> you know, Instagram uh, and individuality and branding can get people famous. Yep. Here. And, and, you know, here I come uh, talking about uh, things like teamwork and toughness. And, and, uh, and, and most importantly, we're going to play, we're going to play to win. You know, as I said at my press conference, I spell fun W I N and everybody in sports does, by the way, you know, I'll show you all the teams, where all the guys transferring for the most part, they didn't win. Because the kid, then if you don't win this day and age with social media, you're taking a beating. Your players are taking a beating. They're not having any fun. So, uh, you, you know, I think every time you take over a program, you have to instill different things within the players and make some make some cultural changes. But uh, it wasn't really my view of California, though, because I have been coming here. I have a lot of friends here. So that was part another part of my move that people didn't know. I have been coming to California since I was 21, working summer camps, mm-hmm. developed, developed many close friends, and had vacationed here every summer for 20 years to see all my friends. But, you know, the, the things that people don't know um, would, would be if you're in the financial world here, you're, you're getting up at 5 because the market opens at 6. Right. Uh, there's no harder place to make it. Everybody's here trying to make it, whether it's uh, in Hollywood, uh, in the film industry, uh, you know, in all the – I mean, everybody's here. I mean, there's – there's for everybody that makes it here, as you know, there's a lot of waiters and waitresses that didn't yep. make it. Yep. You know, so this the whole thing about, you know, everybody's not down at Huntington Beach surfing. <laughs> you know, the, you, you know, people here, it, it's some of the hardest working people in the world are here. Uh, and, and I've gotten to meet some of them that have started from nothing. I mean, I had lunch with a guy 
this year that told me that that he he was one of the guys that loaned Elon Musk money Mm. 10 years ago when Elon Musk leveraged it all and people thought he was was nuts. Um, he still may be on different, but, but, you know, just, just a guy like that, that, you know, when he was making it and people that knew him when he was capital, he was doing capital raising to keep things going uh, for Tesla. So, you know, it's, it's basically, it's, you know, you can make it big, but there's a lot of people here and it, it, it takes hard work. And I think people appreciate uh, I, I've been welcomed with open arms and probably because people appreciate how hard our teams are playing. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first coach in 30 years, Tom. My two years at, at UCLA, I'm the first guy in 30 years that, that hasn't had a McDonald's All-American. Now, we were supposed to have one this year, but he, he, you know, the G League came in behind my back and they stole him from us. He was a signed recruit, and they said they weren't going to do it, but they did it. And we got we have one coming next year, a top ten player, Peyton Watson. But you know, the, I think our hard work has resonated. And hey, man, the Lakers in the eighties. All I tell you is, I re, I remember Kurt Rambis clotheslining guys in the finals. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, they might have been Showtime, but they were clotheslining guys. You know, when you talk about um, whether it's G League, whether it's the NBA, uh, whether it's now the transfer portal. Um, we had a lengthy conversation on this podcast. Uh, again, I, I hearken back just because uh, he's the only coach I've had on the show in Urban Meyer and talking about, you know, uh, you know, do I want to go back to the college game? And, you know, it's one thing to recruit. It's another thing now all of a sudden with this transfer portal. I mean, it's, it's all, you're doing it all over again, but just at a different level. Um, I mean, being a basketball coach, you know, the way the whole thing is set up where a kid can leave after his freshman year of college, to me it seems like something's really screwed up about that whole thing. I I think football's got it right, college football I'm talking about, um, where a kid can can go somewhere for three years he has to stay, and then he can come out. The basketball thing, that's not the case. Uh, It's got to be never-ending, right? When that, now you you throw in guys go pro whenever they want, right? Um, and then you throw in the transfer portal. So basically, what we're looking at is, and I'll give you my opinion on those. But the reality, what you're looking at is, imagine, and you've 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 covered pro sports. You've you've been the voice of many pro teams. Imagine covering pro teams uh, where the entire roster is on a one year contract. In a lot of ways, it might be the best thing of all time, but that's another debate for another time. (laughs) Well, it depends the team, right? You want the big red machine, you want them on lifetime. Right, that's right. You know, but so your entire, you know, so it's it's going to make for an interesting next 10 years, uh, to say the least. And look, those that love sports, we, you know, we, we, we love, we love what we grew up on and, you know, it's, it's so, it's, it, is it going to be tough to, to swallow? Sure, because it's a, it's a massive change. And sure, and if you're in our chair, you like you say, you know, I have had no time, time to digest the Final Four because, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm doing roster management, roster planning. Uh, you know, we, this is a time we do scheduling. So, you know, I'm on the phone from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed every day. So, uh, you know, it's it's made it a twelve month year job, but I hey, look, we're, we're we make great money, so you know, you know, I think that some of the older coaches, you saw Roy Williams say, "Enough's enough." Mm-hmm. He didn't. If to me, if you know, you read between the lines at the press conference. Uh, to me, 
he just didn't want to deal with this, and I don't blame him. Um, you know, because he don't he does not have to. But I, I want to say this: the one, I think you should be able to go pro out of high school, just like a baseball player. If, if that's what you want to do, and people say, well, they make mistakes. Well, everybody makes mistakes mm-hmm. in life. Why would we? Why are we going to regulate the basketball player's mistakes? You know, so that's to me that's that's ridiculous. To me, there's racial undertones to that. I don't like that. But the NBA players are the ones that sold out the high school kids. That was the players you gave that to the owners as part of the collective bargaining, so the players, veteran players, could get more money uh, for the veteran minimum and the veterans and the super max. So that was a bargaining chip. So the players actually did that, uh, which is interesting because, you know, obviously there's the greatest player came out of high school, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, but they're the ones that did that. People, you know, don't know that. I mean, that, that came as a bargaining chip. The owners asked, they wanted the one and done and the players gave it to them and forced it on the high school kids. Like, so to me, Zion Williamson shouldn't have had to go to college. He should get, it's America. If you can get, if, if, if you can do it in tennis, you can do it in every other sport. You should be able to do it now. And, you know, now once you come to college, um, you know, there's a debate, like you said, should they have to stay three, one, two, you know, again, I'm pro player. So, you know, I think they should be able to go professional whenever they do want to go professional. I do believe that does make our job harder. Um, but there's got to be a date. I, my problem, Tom, are the dates. Like you got to let us know earlier mm-hmm. so we can go. We can replace the guy. It's gotten there's there's thoughts out there. You know, they everybody should be draft eligible and they can come back. Well, okay. What if you, now it's July and half my team didn't come back? Mm-hmm. I can't have a team. I'm, you know that it's a, it's got to be fair both ways because. You know, look, all you got to do is turn on the draft boards. I mean, you know if you're going to get drafted. Let's be honest. We don't need to test the water. It's mm. cold, Tom. It's cold. You're not on the board, buddy. Get your, get, get your butt back. That's to right. That's right. You know, so, but I do believe they should be able to go right away if, if that's what they want to do. You know, and people say, well, they make too many mistakes. Well, so do you in your life. So do I. I mean, it happens. So why would we regulate a basketball player's mistakes? So. Uh, it, but it's going to be an interesting time over the next 10 years because the, the changing of jerseys could be crazy. And the residual effect of my long-winded answer, Tom, it's a whole other topic, graduation rates. Because now when player X transfers and doesn't sit out, he now only is going to stay in school for four years, not five. The, the sit-out year forced him, basically forced, gave them time to make up for their lost credits in the transfer and almost guarantee graduation. And I'm speaking from experience. Every player I had at Cincinnati for five years, and, and I had two of them last year that were in their fifth year at UCLA, everyone graduated, everyone. Everyone got their degree. Shaq Thomas, Sean Kilpatrick, I can go down the line. Kyle Washington, Kane Broom, these guys, all were, all, all were guys that either redshirted or transferred. And now you're going to have 1,300 to 2,000 kids transfer and not sit out. In basketball alone, okay, they need to do a study of how many of these guys graduated. Three years from now, they need to do the study. Mm -hmm. Because that's my concern. Because Jay Billis will say it's a penalty for a player to sit out. Well, in our country, most people would say you're getting an extra year of free school. And, and room board books, tuition, and a stipend. How is that a penalty? Mm-hmm. 
you, you know, where every other kid on campus would love to have that, but we're calling that a penalty. So I, I just don't, I, I'm, I'm really concerned that it's going to really hurt the graduation rates uh, of football and basketball players. And it's going to really ad- adversely affect that. And that is not a good thing as we all know, because these kids, 99% of them are going to need to work for a living. Well, Mick, uh, can't thank you enough for um, your generous use of your time here today and joining us on Dialed In. I I know that, uh, look, I've known you for a long, long time, not going to pretend to know you well, but I I know one thing. you know, my my son's not a basketball player; he's a lacrosse player. But but I know one thing: if 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 Mick Cronin was coaching lacrosse, um, we'd I, have I, problems. <laughs> I would send my kid to play for Mick Cronin all day, every day, and and I really believe at the end of the day that as a parent uh, or as a guy who's in the media or a guy that's doing whatever, I think when somebody says out about another guy who's a coach. I can't imagine there's a greater compliment than that, and I sincerely mean it. You did an incredible job here at Cincinnati. It blows my mind that you're still not here, but we're also very happy for your success at UCLA and wish you nothing but the very, very best in everything, professionally and personally, for you, your daughter, your stepson, your girlfriend, your dad, everybody, man. We wish you nothing but the best. Well, it was great. Great catching up with you, my friend. Great catching up with you. I wish you nothing but the best. I know everybody listening knows out, out there that you're you're a great guy, and uh, you know I, I wish nothing but great things for you in the future. Well, thank you, Mick. All the best, my man. Good luck. We'll look forward take to care, catching buddy. up with you down the road. Sounds good, Tom. All Thanks. right, buddy. Take care, Mick Cronin. Kind enough to join us today on Dialed In with Tom Brennan. Man, that, that dude is awesome, isn't he? I mean, guy's unbelievable. He's just he's awesome. He uh, he gets it, and he's always gotten it. He's never forgotten where he came from. Not for one second, never forgot where he came from. Next week's guest, now you talk about a colorful dude. I mean, I'm not so sure there is a nicer guy in the world than Sean Casey, the former Major League Baseball star, primarily with the Reds, but also with Boston, got a World Series ring there and all that kind of thing, and now you see him on the MLB Network. Funny Loves to laugh. Another guy. Born and raised Pittsburgh, PA. Still lives there. Never forgot where he came from. Sean Casey will be our guest next week on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. We thank Dave Armbruster, our producer-engineer, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Have a great week. See you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.